Hey, before we even get started with this episode, I want to introduce you to a couple of friends of mine, Brian and Troy. I want you to listen to what they have to say about their podcast, which I have guested on and I think is very cool. So just listen to Brian and Troy, and then we'll get back to our own stuff in just a minute. G'day, I'm Troy. And I'm Brian. And we're the hosts of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, an ex-evangelical podcast. We used to be loyal members and leaders in Australian Christian megachurches, but we're not anymore. I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist is an honest and hilarious peek behind the curtain at the weird, the worrying, and sometimes traumatic world of evangelicals and Pentecostals. We share our stories, we interview prominent guests in the global evangelical space, and provide a platform for others to tell their stories about their time in evangelicalism and their journey out. Shortlisted at the recent Australian Podcast Awards, I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist gives you a unique global perspective into one of the fastest growing religions in the world from the people who actually lived it. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and IWasAteenageFundamentalist.com. Last night, I had to walk around the block to pick up my car at my daughter's house. As I walked out of my door at about 9.30 at night, it happened. I saw the first fireflies of the season, the first lightning bugs. Now, maybe you don't live in a place where there are lightning bugs. Maybe you grew up in a place that there are, and now you're not seeing them anymore. But I love lightning bugs, and they are a trigger to all sorts of positive emotions. When I was a kid, we used to capture them because they're easy to catch. And we would put them in a jar and bring them into our house and like have them fly around in our bedrooms. Just thought they were so wonderful. And I still do. And I thought to myself, somewhere in the world right now, Somewhere in Ohio, somewhere in Cincinnati right now, there's a kid who is seeing lightning bugs for the first time in their life, and they are delighted. And I just thought, what a cool thing that is. I guess maybe I'm still flying high off the Ursula Good Enough conversation. I don't know. But it was a beautiful thing, and I wanted to share it with you. And I wanted to share it with you, John Wright, because I know you're lurking. In the I am background. lurking. Yes. You know, I, I years ago, I read the New York Times had a dialect quiz. You could sort of answer questions like, what do you call this? And what do you call this? And it would try to pin you where you are in America. Yeah. And when you mentioned uh, fireflies and then the word lightning bugs for the same thing. Yeah. I remembered that that was one of the questions on the dialect quiz because it can help sort of tell people where you're from. Yeah. I am aware that there are places in our country where lightning bugs do not appear, or at least I believe that to be the case. Mm. I should do more research. But the fact of the matter is I love these things and they, you know, I don't know that I've ever seen them. Then Arizona would probably be one of those places. So the Southwest, Arizona, California, places that I've lived, 
or Ireland, neither have fireflies. Do you even know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about, but I have no like direct experience of them. Oh, man. I know that um, Southerners and Midwesterners talk about them as lightning bugs. But then like if you go to Texas, they call them fireflies. And then some people call them like a lamp bug or something like that. People would probably laugh if I put them on the level of the Northern Lights in terms of wonders of nature to behold. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, people would be like, I will fly to Alaska to see the Northern Lights. Right. You know, because I want to have that experience. And I think there are very few people that are thinking, I will fly to Ohio to see lightning bugs. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to tell you that when you're out in a big field and the lightning bugs start, it's quite remarkable. And it does make you feel like you're living in a kind of a magical land of, they fly like fairies. They move slowly through the air. Anything in nature with bioluminescence, isn't that the word? Yes. Would, would, be, would be wonderful, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know if listeners know that what I've been doing lately is what they call a cold opening. Isn't that it? Right? Where you just jump right in. Yeah, you're right in. Yeah. And so I'm trying to make them creative. Maybe not creative. I'm trying to make them interesting. Yeah. In my old radio show, I used to do a cold open, but then like after the first, say, paragraph, I'd say, all right, so welcome. You know, like, it, and it's almost like what would be at the very start is followed up like a minute later. <laughs> yeah. When my son used to canvas for Greenpeace, he said that the people that would do that stuff where, you know, they have a clipboard in the parking lot and they're trying to sign you up to mm -hmm. support you know, climate work and stuff like that. He said what he found was, is that as people would walk past him, if he would say, are you interested in climate change? Or can I, you know, can I talk to you about the environment or so? They would just walk past. So he found all these bizarre things that he would say is he would just go like, kangaroos jump so high. And people were like, excuse me, like, hi, yeah, I'm, I'm, a Ro yeah, I'm Roman. Can I talk to you about Greenpeace? Um, and so he became adept at the, at the strange cold opening of a conversation. Yeah, it's so funny. So, all right, so the, anyway, this conversation, because you're here, I'm here, usually means that we're gonna do a question and response format. And I know for a fact that you have a question. I do, are you ready? Yes. Here we go. Hi, Bart. I just want to encourage you by communicating how much your podcast has helped me and is sustaining me in my deconversion journey. In your conversation earlier this month with Ursula Goodenough, you talked about a reverence and awe for the natural world, and I couldn't help but think of a Bible verse admonishing Christians to worship the Creator, not the created. I could see my Christian friends using that verse to tell we humanists that we're guilty of worshiping the wrong thing. What do you think of this and how would you respond? Thank you. Reverence and awe for nature. Is that something you're familiar with? Oh, yeah. We, I mean, we're just talking lightning bugs. What an interesting question. Worship the creator rather than the created. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be worshiping those lightning bugs. That's one of the things that almost all theistic religions have in common is that they're terrified that you're going to worship the wrong thing. Don't worship graven idols. Don't, yeah. you know, like, just be really careful. Be sure you're worshiping the right thing. 
Well, was worshiping nature one of the big competitors to theistic religion in the sense that, like, if you look at a lot of tribes and, and things around the world, that's what they did, right? What's interesting is I don't think so. I think worship comes along with deities, like with personal deities, at least one kind of worship. That's, in it. that's interesting. I've actually thought about this quite a bit. Because when I was just at the beginning of trying to think my way out of Christianity, I was still running this ministry, a guy named John Engel, who we have had on this podcast years and years ago, John Engel runs an organization in Haiti called Haiti Partners that, that does education work in Haiti. He's one of the most thoughtful social activists I know. But John had, like me, started out in Christianity. Like I don't know if he ever came all the way out but he was much farther to the edge than I was as a young person. And his idea of God had definitely expanded to encompass the whole universe. And one of the things that he said when we were talking, he said one of the things that drove him away from the idea of a personal God was that God commanded people to worship. And he said, the truth of the matter is, is he said, I wouldn't worship any God that wanted to be worshiped. Like, it seems so creepy. Yeah. I want people to fall prostrate around me and say, you're great. You're great. Aren't you amazing? For all eternity. It just, he said, it seemed to him such a petty, childish, self-absorbed act. A God who was, as the Old Testament says, jealous for your worship. Yeah. Jealous about his worship, worship of him. Only like me and like me all the time and tell me I'm great. Tell me a great again. Tell me I'm great again. Yeah. He was like, it's unseemly. He said, he said, you know, I'm a father. I remember him saying like, if I have a son and I give him a bicycle, I don't want him to come and say, thanks dad for the bike. You're the greatest dad in the world. I praise you for the bike. This is the best bike ever. Thank you so much. You got me the bike. You're amazing. He said, I want him to ride the bike. I want to watch him riding around the block and laughing and going, I love this bike. You know, he said, like, forget me. Stop thanking me. Stop focusing on me. Just enjoy the bike. That's why I bought it for you. It's such a good point. He said the idea that there was a God who wanted you to celebrate him rather than enjoy the life he had given you seemed bizarre. It's like the old Groucho Marx line. I wouldn't want to be a member of any club that would want a person like me for a member. It was sort of like, I wouldn't want to worship a God who would want to be worshiped. Yeah. So worship was always a problem for me as a, as a thought. Gr gratitude, I get. You know, appreciation, I get. But worship, have you ever looked it up, like what worship means? I, I was just going to ask you what your definition of that word is. I've got a few, but do you got a second? So I'm, yeah. I'm just going to pull it up. Worship definition. And see what we come up with in the in the old dictionary. Because I don't use that word maybe because I was brought up in the church and you, you associate it strictly with God. You know, there was a song when I was growing up, praise you like I should. Yes. That's another word I never use about anything other than God to this day just because it's programmed into me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one, like, I'm, I'm just looking at Merriam-Webster, okay? Okay. So as a verb— to worship is to honor or show reverence for as a divine being or supernatural power. 
Okay. To show honor or show reverence, or to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion, like a celebrity who's worshipped by her fans. And as a noun, it is reverence offered a divine being or supernatural power, a form of religious practice with its creed and ritual, extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. So it's it's kind of interesting because what I realize as I listen to that is is that worship is a form of religious devotion that's traditionally directed towards a deity, but not always. You know, like it's not always a deity that people worship. Although I guess if you worship something, you're raising it to the level of a deity. So if you worship, say, Taylor Swift, that would be the the most common object of worship right now in the world. (laughs) For some reason, I don't get it, but yes. You're raising her to the level of, oh, well, you know, you need to watch a few more documentaries like Americana. I mean, she's pretty amazing. Now, I always remember back when Justin Bieber was huge in the early days, and I was like, I was mocking him. And then I watched this documentary about him. And I was like, by the end of it, I was like, wow, that guy's amazingly talented. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's it. He's incredible. Um, <laughs> but so I think that this is the thing that I would say is, you know, to our friend who asked the question is that to some people that's what worship is it's a form of religious devotion traditionally but not only directed towards a deity and you know it might be outwardly expressed in veneration or adoration or praise as you said or even prayer worshipful prayer I praise you. You are amazing. I'm thankful to you. You know, Mm -hmm. I adore you. I think you're the best. But like those outward expressions, like worship is really, it's they're they're expressions of a feeling. Well, I was going to say, can you instruct someone to do that? I mean, uh, that seems to me like the closest thing I can think to that is I feel like that way about my fiance, right? So I go like, I admire you. I'm grateful for you. I appreciate you. I love you. I can't wait to be with you. I think you walk on water. I I'm devoted you. to you. I'm devoted to you. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally devoted. Uh, you know, I think about you all day. I want you. I can't wait till you come home and like we watch our show. Okay. So, but you can instruct me to feel that way. I either feel it or I don't. It's, it's a spontaneous eruption of the feeling inside, right? Yes. And honestly, when you say like, I can't wait till you come home so we can watch something, I would go like, that's love. When we worship somebody, there's a sense in which we're, I think that it's a feeling where we put the person up on a pedestal mm-hmm. and we go like, you are admirable. You are above me. We traditionally worship things that we think are greater than or better than ourselves. Okay. You know, worship isn't a peer thing. Oh, I worship you and you worship me. We mutually worship each other. Like... <laughs> Now, we mutually respect each other. We mutually enjoy each other, appreciate each other. But worship is for something bigger than you and better okay. than you. Okay? All right. All right. And, and what I would say is that on that level, the expressions like, you know, praise or prayer, or whatever people in the church or whatever, or, or what nature lovers do, you know, their acts of devotion are expressions of a feeling or expressions of an attitude. But the attitude is deep down. It's an instinctive response to something that you think is overwhelmingly and amazingly wonderful and better than you. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I say like I worship nature or I worship life, 
like I have a feeling of the universe is bigger than me. It's more complex than me. It contains me. It will ultimately absorb me, reabsorb me. Or I guess I don't even have to reabsorb. I'm part of it now in this form and it, I will always be part of it in some form or at yeah. least my atoms will. And my impact will, you know, in some infinitesimal way. So like there's this thing that is beyond me and around me and within me and I revere it at a higher level, right? It's how I feel. It's how you feel when you're standing underneath the stars, how you feel when you're on the edge of the Grand Canyon, how you feel when you are awestruck. And however you express that feeling, like if you go like, ah, or if you go like, I love this. If you just raise your arms and just are like, wow. Like that's, you're expressing the feeling, but the feeling is within you. Okay. Okay. Now. Would our friend who asked the question, Kathy, what her friends are saying, talking about, is can't be that. It can't be that because it's commanded. And you can't command a feeling uh, reliably. As you know, if you've ever taken a child to an amusement park, like, don't be afraid. Or be happy. <laughs> right. You know, have you ever seen a parent like, we came all this way for you to have fun. Now have fun. You know, right. be happy. <laughs> You're like, kids crying. You know. To people that are quoting a verse where it says, do not worship, worship the creator, but not the creation. What they're saying is like the acts of veneration, the acts of adoration, the acts of praise and prayer. That's what worship is. Worship is a verb. It's something you do. It's an act. Mm -hmm. It's what you're doing rather than what you're feeling. Bow down before me. Like you, you've seen it in movies where the king is like, you know, you will bow down. And the people from the other tribe that have been captured have to bow down. But that's why it's so insidious. And this is, I think, why Christopher Hitchens called it a dictatorship, a divine dictatorship, because it, re it does remind of say, like, I think he called it like a celestial North Korea, where regardless of how you feel, you're going to bow down. Like, it doesn't matter whether you really mean it. What That's not what's important to the dictator, right? What's important to the dictator is absolute submissiveness. Unless, unless the dictator is benevolent and wonderful, okay? And then the dictator might be doing it because they know that repeatedly saying, like coming back and repeatedly five times praying, bowing towards Mecca, repeatedly asserting or verbalizing worship for something has a tendency to create that feeling within you. One way of understanding is, is that it's an act that generates the attitude. You know, we're like, oh, listen, if, if, if you have to command, if you command somebody to worship, it doesn't mean anything. I'd be like, well, what if I command you to do something that ultimately will create the feeling that you don't have? So when you said that, to go back to the North Korea analogy, I remember seeing this documentary where they sent in surgeons to do cataract surgery because nobody within North Korea could do it. They sent some people in to do it, and they did lots of cataracts, like thousands. When when they took off their bandages and they could see again, they dropped to their knees at a 
picture of Kim Jong-il and thanked Kim Jong-il for their eyesight rather than the doctors who came in and gave them their eyesight. So it actually worked. They had internalized yeah. the act. It's what you said. The act had led to the feeling. And the thing is like, you know, if a Christian was listening to the show or is listening to the show, they might be really offended by the Kim Jong-il thing. And I, and I think it is an offensive to a Christian thing. And I like, what I would suggest is, is that sometimes we force a kid to engage in piano lessons and they're not that much fun at the mm -hmm. beginning and they have to go through it and they're learning these fundamentals and they're not that excited. We're like, you're going to go, you're going to keep doing this. You're going to keep doing this. And then there comes a moment when they can play a song and they go like, some kids go like, wow, this is amazing. And they fall in love with the right. piano. And so somebody says like, look, this kid has musical ability. And if I just leave it to them, they'll never discover the joy of playing the piano or reading, for instance. They'll never discover the joy of reading on their own. They have to be forced. They have to be taught. They have to be disciplined to do this thing. And then eventually it will take on a life of its own and they will love it for itself. And so on that level, a benevolent God would say, worship me, give me credit for everything. And you'll eventually internalize this attitude that says I'm responsible for everything. And in the end, you will enjoy the realization that I am the author of all good things. He would say, every day you should say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Which it sounds like Kim Jong-il also has adopted that, that thought. Like, praise God from whom all blessings flow. You're like, why do I have to say that every day? Because like you'll internalize an attitude that says everything is from God. And then eventually you'll enjoy the fact that like every good thing comes to you. Like, oh, God loves right, me so right. much. Yeah, I mean, the only reason it's offensive is because they don't think Kim Jong-un is all that great. And so it would work, you know, like it, it would be the rational thing to do. And so the act of worship in that realm is like openly recognizing and crediting a God and saying like, first of all, I acknowledge that you exist. And secondly, I credit you for this good thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's the thing, like my friend was like, if I give you a bicycle, I don't want you to like just constantly be crediting me for giving you the bicycle. I just want you to yeah. ride the thing, yeah. right? But, but in this sense, when somebody commands you to do this, they want you to recognize them and they want you to credit them because I think on some level, this will ultimately orient you correctly to the universe. That's the belief of Kathy's Christian friends where they're like, don't worship the creation. Always stop and go look at the person who gave it to you. Talk about the person that gave it to you. Always credit the person who gave it to you. I think on some level, though, you know, Kathy is asking, you know, she, I could see my Christian friends using that verse to tell us that we're guilty of worshiping the wrong thing. How would you respond? My friend, I don't believe in the God that you, of which you speak. I mean, that's the only response. Uh, but when it comes to worship, yeah, I mean, that is an interesting distinction, the creator and the created, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And what I would say is like, even the person who sees a beautiful sunset and goes, praise God, God, thank you. I worship you for this mm -hmm. sunset. The first impulse is, wow, look at that sunset. It's the created that gives them the, the feeling. The created is the trigger. It's the mm -hmm. spark, okay? It's the spark. Again, in a religious ritual, we're like, it's 12 o'clock, it's time to worship, you know? <laughs> right. 
And so sometimes Christians are worship on command. And sometimes they worship as a discipline. And Muslims too, and lots of other people. And sometimes Christians and Muslims worship spontaneously when they are overwhelmed with some aspect of life that they they go like, I'm just overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude or I'm overwhelmed with the sense of wonder or sense of yeah. awe. And when they do that, they're actually, they're doing what Ursula Good Enough does. They're doing what Kathy does, okay? So sometimes a Christian feels this spontaneous sense of there's something wonderful and I just, I'm just so excited about it. And they then, then they go like, okay, I got to find the author, you know? And sometimes we, this is the weird thing is, is you, is you go like, well, what do you say to somebody who's really depressed or really sad or who doesn't have a sense of the value of life? I go like, oh, I try to get them to adopt a, a discipline of a, of a gratitude journal. And I go like, each day I want you to stop and I want you to think of the best thing that you saw today, the best encounter that you had today, the most beautiful thing. Like, I want you to think of five things to be thankful for. And you go like, why do I have to do that discipline? I go like, ah, because, you know, like, basically there's a whole lot of evidence that would suggest that intentional gratitude will change the way you see things and you will actually enjoy the things that you are giving thanks for or that you are expressing gratitude for. You'll enjoy them more after you express gratitude for them than beforehand. Like if you mindfully eat your food, you'll enjoy it more. If you mindfully live your life and you're constantly going, isn't this wonderful? Oh, I love that. Oh, if you verbalize your wonder, if you verbalize your, your worship, of nature, you'll enjoy it more. That's an interesting parallel back to what you were saying about- uh, uh, That's what the yeah. Christians do. And so Kathy's friend's verse is correct, where they're like, it's correct in the sense that they go, could we draw a distinction between like praising the author or the creator behind a thing and just being overwhelmed with gratitude for the thing itself? And you go, yeah, we can. And they would say like, the one is the thing you should do. And that's like, because we want to keep you focused on God. And we would go like, yeah, you know what? There is no God, but <laughs> you know what? The, the, it does make sense to stop five times a day and think about how fortunate you are to be alive. They want an either or. And we would go sort of like, you know, maybe, maybe we should do the discipline kind of worship, but keep it focused on the thing itself. And do the spontaneous type of worship, which is inspired by the thing itself. You know, so maybe when we happen to, to catch ourselves looking up at the beautiful night sky, we should go like, wow, look at that. Isn't that amazing? Aren't we lucky to have eyes to see that? Aren't I glad to have a brain that can process that? Aren't I fortunate to have an education that helps me understand that a little bit? Yeah, aren't, aren't I glad that the light of consciousness came on somewhere in yeah. nature and I'm having a crappy day and I don't feel this right now. Time to go out and look at the night sky. Yeah. It's, or maybe we should set an alarm on our watch that says, okay, what are you going to look at today? That's so good. It really is good. It's a good thing. Funny enough, and this, is, this seems like a tangent, but last week or earlier this week, actually, Apple had this giant thing where they were announcing new products and all the attention, of course, went on this virtual reality thing they, they've got. But there was this small change to their iPhone operating system where they have now a gratitude journal 
that's part of the operating system. Yeah. And fuck those guys, man. They want to co-opt every good thing in the universe. I mean, so in other words, if you put the tool in someone's hand, they're more likely to be able to do it. The idea that someone could have a, a reminder to do exactly what you said. I can see it on your face. You're skeptical that it could ever come from a digital place. No, no, no. I know that's true. Like, And people will use their phones to do it. And that will cause their phone to be in their hand a light. Then as soon as they're done the gratitude journal, they'll flip over to Instagram. That's the thing. Like, I hate it when people co-opt the healthiest things that we can be doing and go like, do all the healthy things through your phone. Because it's sort of like luring an alcoholic, like saying like, your child's piano recital is here in the bar. Come on in and just, don't you want to be a good father and support your child? And I'm like, yes, I do. And then like, I end up three sheets to the wind. Right. And so I go like, <laughs> I, I just, I, you know, I'm like, yes, have a gratitude journal on a fucking piece of paper oh in, a, in a spiral notebook. Damn it. Well, Gosh. Well, I, I, I think we probably shouldn't be drawn into a debate about the, the digital tools that are available and whether I know, we can I'm use sorry. them. But, I'm sorry. Because there are, I mean, mindfulness apps have helped a lot of people, right? And I all know. Kinds of, anyway, anyway. But I, it, the point is that, yes, that's a, gr a great idea. And the idea of, actually having a built-in routine around that or or some kind of way of so a system right to yeah remember yeah. but yeah okay I, so let me stop you for a second yeah okay because i just thought of a great idea for a bonus episode okay i'm gonna i'm gonna preview it here and then we're gonna make it and we'll put it up right bonus episodes are for like the patreon people Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is like an inducement to you. I'm going to tell you about something we're going to do for the Patreon people. You could get this bonus episode, like if you pledge a dollar a month, like just become one of the people that supports the podcast, like at the lowest level, right? Right, that works, doesn't John? Uh, I think I think for bonus episodes, maybe, maybe five bucks a month. Ah. Yes, it's a less than a cup of coffee. Less All right, less coffee. than a cup of coffee. Anyway, so my point is, here's the bonus episode. When I was out in California visiting Roman and Allie, actually visiting my grandson, Oscar, I had a conversation mm -hmm. with Roman, who's this kind of deep thinking philosophical dude. And then I had a conversation with Allie, his wife, who, again, we've had on the podcast because she's like a phenomenally successful songwriter and just an artist of great, you know, import. But in both these conversations, I ended up quoting them my favorite Sports Illustrated article from the 1980s and I found the article and I read it to them. And what I wanna do on the bonus podcast is I wanna read this article because it's an article written by a guy looking back on his life when he was 17 years old and he was a chess student of the chess grandmaster in New York City named Bruce Pandolfini, who if you ever watch that movie, search looking for Bobby Fischer. Oh yeah. He's the teacher. Okay. He was a real dude. And he specialized in training chess prodigies. And this guy was one of his students when he was 17. And he, and he recalls this day when Bruce Pandolfini comes into the chess club where all the old men are playing the old Russians and the cab drivers and everybody who's really into chess. And he has a five-year-old kid with him who's the new phenom. And he's looking for a game. And nobody will play the kid. Because who wants to lose to a five-year-old? And Bruce finally comes to the author of the article and says, will you please, please, will you play him? And he agrees because he likes Bruce and they go off into a room to play this game. 
And he said, as soon as the game started, he knew he was going to lose. The kid was unbelievable. He was on the run the whole time. And he was working his head off just to stay in the game. And he was doing things. He was playing defensively because he, he said, I was normally a really aggressive player, but he said, this kid had me scared out of my boots. And they played for a while. And finally he realized like, I got to try something. And he tries something and the kid spots him. And a few short moves later, you know, he realizes he's trapped and he tips over his king and concedes the game. And the kid giggles at him. And, and the teacher says, hey, no giggling. And then he looks at him and said, I'm proud of both of you guys. That was an amazing game. Deep, deep, well thought. You, you really played. And then the 17-year-old kid says, I realized in that moment, two things. Number one is I would never be a great chess player. This five-year-old had more talent in his finger, in his pinky than I had in my whole body. It's like, I was, he said, I was never going to be great. Like, and he said, as depressing as that may sound, he said, it kind of was freeing because once I realized like I was, it was over. My dream of being a chess champion was over. He said, I suddenly realized like this kid's amazing. And, and as Bruce went over the moves, he said, I got caught up in the wonder of how well this kid played. And he said, and all of a sudden it dawned on me that all the time Bruce had been teaching me chess, he hadn't been teaching me so that I would become the best. He'd been teaching me so that I could come to appreciate the game. You have to play chess at a certain level to really grasp how beautiful the game is. And he said, that's what Bruce was trying to get me to see. And he said, so while I lost my illusions that I would ever be great, he said, I discovered the love of the game itself. And he said, the ironic thing is he said, by the time that kid was 10, he was burned out and he didn't want to play chess anymore. Right. And he never plays now. And he said, for all his technical brilliance, he didn't love the game as much as I do. It, it was this interesting thing about the point of doing something is not so that you can be the best at it or master it. But the point of like learning something, of delving into something is so that you can come to appreciate the thing itself. Like that's why I think real scientists study science. It's not to master the universe. Right. Understand it well enough that you can go, wow. And that's why it makes sense to study things like the stars or to study things like bioluminescence or to study the piano or, or basketball mm -hmm. so that when you see somebody do it, you can go, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and I think there's this thing where, you know, like, I think that for us, the real act of worship is to discipline ourselves, to look and to see and in some cases to understand and explore something. And you go like, why? And you go like, because it will cause you to just appreciate it, to worship it. And you go like, why would I want to walk through the universe just thinking that it was amazing? And I go like, that's, there's a question that just answers itself. <laughs> I didn't mean to get all... Mushy, but oh, but you were but you were talking about uh, a bonus episode. 
Yeah, and so in the bonus episode, I'll read the article. I mean, I, I just explained it, but like it's not. Oh, got it. It's, got it. it's way better. So I thought, like, what if we do an episode where maybe me, or maybe we get somebody who has a really melodious, wonderful voice, and we have them read the article because it's a beautiful article. Beautiful, um, and, and then we'll post it and all that stuff. But when you, know, you were to, when you were talking about uh, at the very end, there you got all the way to the end. Yeah, and you were talking about like looking up at the start is to go like wow, and I thought like. Oh, I wonder if that's the piece that makes Kathy feel guilty. She says, I could see my Christian friends using that verse to tell us that we're guilty of worshiping the wrong thing. And I wonder, does she feel guilt when she hears you and Ursula good enough talk about the reverence and awe for the natural world without the God behind the curtain? And I wonder if it's more a feeling of guilt that she's residual. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, people always say to me, like, I don't know how you can be thankful if you've got nobody to thank. And I just go like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, like if I walk outside and, and the weather is beautiful, like I'm going like, I'm just grateful, like grateful to be alive. Like, I, I guess I'm, I'm just grateful for the experience. I'm grateful for life itself. And I, I like, and you go like, but you have to thank somebody for giving you that. And I go like, okay, <laughs> I'll thank Every chain of event that led to my standing here looking at this beautiful day. It's a long list. I have to thank all the people that, all my ancestors, I have to thank all the men and women who they didn't marry, who tried to marry them and they didn't marry because that would have disrupted the chain. Like, I'll thank the whole chain of events. You know, I'll thank them. You know, like, I don't even know. Like, you just ex get exhausted in like trying to find the author of it. Or you can just go like, you know what? Let's just call the whole thing the universe. And go like, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, as you can tell, like this idea of worship, like I am almost offended um, <laughs> by the idea of a personal God who says like, stop looking at the universe, look at me. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm like, just keep looking at the universe. Just keep right. looking at the universe. Keep looking at your life. Keep looking at every good thing and just going like, wow, wow, wow and being thankful, thankful, thankful. And you will probably find yourself enjoying your life to a greater degree than if you hadn't bothered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right, that's enough, right? Well, thanks, Bart, that was great. Yeah, I mean, she had a question. I had a lot of thoughts. You had to listen to them, I'm sorry. I loved it. Yeah, all right. Oh, you know what, John? Mm. <laughs> You're talking about reverence and thanks and gratitude. Is it okay if like, like I got a list of the people, the Patreon people, this month's like gang of uh, Patreon people. I like when you say gang. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's thank, thank the gang. Let's thank the gang. All right. So in this case, like I want to thank everybody who ever supports this podcast, even just by recommending it. But I especially want to thank Julie Herrick and D. Bright and Connie Dollins. Emotions in Lemonade, which honestly, I yeah, I would like to see Connie Dollins and Motions in Lemonade meet someday at a, at, you know, <laughs> at a coffee shop. Patty McDonald, Brian Rainey, Peter Tubbs, Neil Sands, and last but certainly not least, the wonderful Daniel Jones, who has been supporting this podcast for a long time. He is a beautiful human who I've actually gotten to know. 
When I, whenever I see his name, I feel, actually, it's funny. I feel that way about Julie Herrick. I feel that way about Connie Dolenz. Motions and Lemonade, if I ever met you, I would feel that way about you too. I just love when people have special names. And in fact, Raya Jones on our uh, Humanize Me Facebook group yes. responded to the last episode by saying how intrigued she was about Taco 54, who was thanked in the last episode and said she thinks Taco 54 might be the, un, the, the un, unsaid star of the last episode. We all want to know. Taco 54, you, come on. <laughs> Come on, reveal yourself. My se- my secret theory on that is that this is someone who drives a Toyota Tacoma, who sometimes lovingly refer to their trucks as a taco, and that they are fifty four years old. But that, or were born in nineteen fifty four. But that is just my own personal theory. All right, Taco, come and set us straight. <laughs> no, but seriously, all of you people that I mentioned, just thank you, and thank you, Bart. Yeah, yeah, no, like I, I thank you, John. Like, thank everyone. Thank Ursula Goodenough, who was talking to us last week. Thank Kathy, who took the time to give us a cool question. Like, like, yeah, you know what? Sometimes I look at this podcast and the nice responses and, the, and I just go, like, wow. This podcast is made possible by supporters of the show on Patreon. Get an exclusive extra episode every month for less than the cost of a cup of coffee at patreon.com slash humanize me. You'll also get a video newsletter from Bart and some extra goodies. Our patrons make this show happen. So please, if you enjoy it, consider joining us. That's patreon.com slash humanize me. Bart's website where you can contact him is bartcampolo.org. And this episode is produced by Katie Johnson-Smith, me, John Wright, and Bart Campolo. You could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. You could fly higher than the sky, shine brighter than the stars. You can live all you ever wanted. Oh